So keep up your courage. That was the uh, scripture this morning that uh, the text gave us. Keep up your courage. You see, some of you may see courage as more like this. Is that your life? Is that going to be Monday morning? Being the cat or maybe you're the dog. Are you going to be the duck or are you going to be the alligator? Or maybe you're just brave. (laughs) Courage means different things to different people, but some of you may have seen or certainly you've heard of this film, The Perfect Storm. And from the text that was written, was read from Acts 27, it says, Paul standing on the deck. Now the imagery of this is really hard to get. Because Paul wasn't in Hollywood. And it's hard to grasp a boat in a truly massive storm. The noise alone crashes around you. It is not possible to speak as we commune and chat about this. Paul probably had to shout the words that were given to us in the text. And he's standing on the deck and he says, So man, keep up your courage. I don't imagine those men said, well, what does he mean? I don't get it. But it would be well for us to ask this morning, what is courage? We sometimes use the word and say, what is joy? As we contemplate joy, it's a hard, we know what it is, but do we get it? And courage would be another one of those words. If you said, tell me somebody who really has courage, who you observe in their life day by day, do you have courage? In what did you demonstrate to yourself, if you don't think that you do, in what did you demonstrate courage this past week? Do you harness courage? Or is it just courage? What is it? Can I get more of it? If I have more of it, can I give it away? So few of us are going to stand on a deck, tossing around in the middle of the Atlantic on a small ship, just about to be broken in pieces. But you know, all of us, every day of our lives, face situations that may well require us to call upon this quality of courage. Paul wasn't alone in promoting the idea of courage. You can see here that these scriptures, Moses urged the Israelites, be strong, have courage. He urged Joshua, be strong and have courage. The Lord himself spoke to Joshua and said, have courage. David knelt down before the Lord and the text says in 1 Chronicles, King David, the most powerful man on earth at the time, knelt and had to summon courage to do what? Just to speak to God. David said to Solomon, be strong and courageous. Paul urged the Corinthians, be men of courage. Paul told the Philippians that he expected and he hoped to have sufficient courage. So what is it? What is this 
cut it off. Can I break it? Sorry, this is going to be a distract. There we go. That does go. I think I hit the back button and it uh, freezes it. So courage is the ability to confront fear, to confront pain, danger, uncertainty, intimidation. Courage is acting in spite of fear. The uncertainties, the things that we worry about, anything, the moment you say, I'm not sure, and I'm fretting a little bit, that's driving a fear. The things that we worry about and fear about is the opposite. Physical courage is the courage in the face of physical pain, hardship, death, or the threat of death. Moral courage, the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition, shame, scandal, or discouragement. So if that is courage, the ability to confront uncertainty, then what is the opposite of courage? We can turn to the same scriptures because they tag along. When Moses said to the Israelites, be strong and courageous, he said, don't be afraid or terrified. He said the same thing to Joshua. The Lord said the same thing to Joshua. David said the same thing to Solomon. And again, Paul said to the Philippians that he expected and hoped to have sufficient courage. Why, Paul? So that he may not be ashamed. I wonder if we contemplate that, whether sometimes we fail to exercise courage and as a result we sink back in a certain shame. The opposite of courage is fear. When Paul stood on the deck screaming at those around him, he urged them to stand boldly Before their fears, what were they afraid of? Well, they were afraid of the ship smashing apart and they all being drowned. Perhaps worthy of fear. He also, though, called them to believe in what he was saying. There were nearly 300 people on that ship, more than the people in this auditorium. And he said, believe in what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to describe for you the future. Believe it and have courage. So the question would be for you and me, do we stand boldly as our lives, along with our fears, are crashing all around us? We need faith to produce a courage To live a life of faith and to avoid being ashamed. Consider the daily courage that some of us need. We need courage in our faith. We want to live lives of integrity. Just We just want to live good lives of faith. But a simple act in contemplating this, it interests me sometimes with Christians when we give thanks for our food. As simple as that, we give thanks for our food in the security of our homes. But the moment we get into a restaurant, we don't. Have you ever noticed that? 
I always get really excited when I, when I see somebody in a restaurant giving thanks. Especially if it's in a business setting. If they will just stop for a moment. And if I see somebody giving thanks, what does it do for my spirits? It lifts my spirits. I just think, good on you. You had the courage. You stepped away from your fear because so many are afraid just to give thanks for their food in a free country of Canada, in a free place where probably nobody will ridicule you. We won't even give thanks for our food. Oh, but I do it quietly. Yes, so that nobody will see. We need courage to be different to those around us. We need courage, especially when we're young and single, and when we're, we're young and growing and young families. Sometimes we forget how much courage we need just to be parents. We need courage in our work to be prepared to be different, to be prepared to stand for something with the risk of losing our jobs, which normally would not happen. But we need courage in those times, day by day. We need courage to have with our families, whether they even have children, how they'll turn out. Will our children reject us? You see so many terrible things in families today. We are fearful. Fearful for our health. As a society, our Western world, we are absolutely entrenched in a fear for our health. As we get older, we could spend our whole wealth of any form just on our health, on a condition that is dying. And we fear our death. We fear retirement, just getting old. Wonderful story. We went to see the film last night. Um, and Paddy's going to have to tell me the whole title because about the Emerald Hotel, the best whatever it is, Emerald Hotel. Highly encourage you go and see it. Absolutely fabulous film. It's just a film. It's not a Christian film or anything like that. But it's also it's a tasteful film. But it 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 gives you such an insight into growing old. Good for the young people to see, good for us to see. We need courage daily because sometimes we're ashamed of our fears and we don't know who to talk to. We don't, we don't know who would, can I, can I trust? I need to talk to somebody about this, but I am fearful of whom I can trust and often with right motive. And we're fearful in the very book that we've been studying, that Kelly's been presenting to us these past weeks, the book of Acts, the book of the expansion of the church, the growth of the church on earth. We need courage to share our faith. This isn't going to be a a lesson on sharing our faith, but we have to ask the question, why, if this is such a great picture, If God really is God, if Jesus really came to earth and died for us, if that's truly the greatest story on earth, why can't we tell it? Are we afraid to? We need courage. 
to do even that. Daily we face, we face fears as simple as saying no to somebody. I won't do that to our boss or to a friend, our friends. Fearing rejection, feeling stupid, dumb, ugly. We are fearful beings. Even in our faith, we are fearful. Fearing not being happy or successful. Being truthful. Because if we told the truth, they may not like us. They may not trust us. And we can't handle that. Being too friendly because they may feel that we're weird or we're being too forward. Fearing to stand up for what is right. This business, this, I'm going to share my political views for one split second, this nonsense going on in Quebec that young people are allowed to abuse our democracy. But who is standing up against it? Do the people of Montreal rise up? And regardless of your views, the position would be, why, does, is, why isn't there an opposing voice? Some fellow I heard two days ago has put a website on for those opposing voices, and at the time he had 20 people sign up. Why? Because people are afraid. The people of Quebec know what's wrong, but won't stand up. They won't be courageous. There is a reality of taxation. There's a reality of costs that we just set aside because we don't need to. And we fail to be courageous. We fail to take responsibility for someone or for something. Why? Because we don't want to be found wanting. If I take responsibility, then I'm responsible. If I send you to somebody, if I take responsibility for a possession... I become responsible. I don't want to be responsible because then you might hold me accountable and I can't handle that. I'm fearful of that. So why? I don't do it. I don't live a very full life. We fear taking risks. As parents, we need to daily raise our children to have courage, not fear. To raise your children to have courage. Because in courage, they can do anything. In fear, they will live lives of mediocrity. Compared to what God has in store for them. Perhaps, even today, one of the things that interests me about Sundays is that I sit down and here, usually on this row. I sit there because I'm fearful to sit over here and not know anybody. And um, I don't know those people quite well, I do. But, but I sit over there, why? Because it's comfortable. But I sit there and I listen to the lessons and I often make notes on the lessons and, and I think, my thoughts right now are so distant to your thoughts. I don't mean that, that, we're, that it's different. My week has been different to your week. And I don't know your weeks today. And I suspect that some of you have had weeks that need courage. You see, we need to recognize that even in a group as small as this, some of us are being abused. Some of us are fearful. Rightly fearful. 
Some of us have got oppressive partners, spouses. Some of us have got disobedient children. Some of us have come from untenable family situations. Countries that if you return to, you would be punished. Work that is oppressive. Jobs that are insecure, not because they need to be insecure or unsure, but because your boss hangs that over you. And each of us sits and listens to the words of God. And Paul today may well be speaking directly to you. So we may not take a stand on an open deck, bopping around in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea during this perfect storm. But we all need to have courage in our daily lives. I just want to turn back shortly um, for a few moments back to the whole text of Acts 27. Since we're working through this and you're going to do that in your small groups, I just want to have a, take a look at this with a couple of questions. So if you look back at Acts 27, you'll see what you can learn from this storm. You see, in Acts 27.13, first of all, it says, When a gentle south wind began to blow... They thought they had obtained what they wanted. Do, do, do we do that with God? When we get what we wanted, do we think it's automatically a gift from God? How often we think that God is favoring us when things are going well? We need to be wise in our consideration. Then he goes on in verse 15 to say that the ship got caught in a storm. Now to their credit, they didn't just sit there. And complain. We need to contemplate this when we have fearful experiences. Do we just sit and complain? Consider what these sailors, these many of whom were prisoners, did. Well, we we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. They passed ropes under the ship, holding it together to try to hold it together. They lowered the sea anchors. They began to throw the cargo overboard. They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And then, and only then, they threw hope over the side as well. They gave up hope. But to their credit, they didn't just sit and complain. Sometimes, really quite often, we just sit there when something's going wrong. Oh, we pray, we pray earnestly. But we just sit there. God, help me. Stop this storm. I don't like it. But I don't do anything to change it. Verse 21. After the men had gone for a long time without Ford, Paul stood up before them. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Oh, new information. You see, sometimes God and others are trying to help our lives, but we don't pay attention. They could have solved all that problem if they'd just listened in the first place. And so often in our problems and in our fears, we haven't listened in the first place to wise counsel. We haven't even sought it. We haven't even talked to people about it. There are lots of people who can help us. But we don't want to go and talk to them because we might look stupid. 
we might look foolish. I'd rather look foolish than have people afterwards say to me, I could have told you that that was a dangerous step in what you were doing. He goes on through the passages we've read. Then on verse 27, it says, on the 14th night, 14 days they've been in this storm. How often have we become impatient with God when we don't see the future in our lives in two or three days? God, help me tomorrow. God, why haven't you helped me next day? God, aren't you listening to me? We we become impatient. And you know that 14 days is a short period to what some people had to wait in Scripture for God's response. We just become impatient. In verse 30, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let down the light boat down into the sea. Well, do we sometimes want to speed up God's plan? We, we get impatient, so we say, well, let's speed up God's plan. You're not responding, God, so we're going to take things into our own hands. Verse 35, after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks. This is the man that wrote to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. When we are needing courage, when we're at our low points, when things are going wrong, do we lose our values? Do we sort of let all that stuff go? That's, that's for the good times. But now I've got to worry about this. You see, Paul held to his values even in the storm. Even after 14 days, he still broke bread and gave thanks for it in front of them all. In verse 36, they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And then afterwards, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the ocean. Sometimes, can you imagine doing that? You're at the end of everything. You take the food. It would be so tempting to just say, well, what if? I better have a security blanket. I know God is good, and I know he can save me, but I better have a security blanket. Or do we toss the blanket into the ocean too because we believe of what has been told to us. There's a wonderful expression in that movie that I told you about yesterday. They keep on, the fellow keeps on saying, he says, everything will work out for the best in the end. And if it isn't yet the best, it isn't yet the end. Why? For the believer, because of Jesus Christ. So in summary, courage lifts us to greater heights and subordinates our fears. Fear debilitates our lives and causes us to live smaller, less significant lives. What sadness this must bring to God. I want you to contemplate for a moment here. We think that sin will sadden God. And I'm sure that sin does sadden God. 
But the reality is that God knew that we were going to sin and made a, uh, made a process for us through grace that we can still be united with him. How precious is that? More precious than anything. But do you think it might sadden the being that created us and gave us that unbelievable eternal freedom when we don't live full lives. You know what that's like? That's like raising your child and giving them everything that you could give them to make them have, to give them the opportunity of a fantastic life. Everything. And they go away to university, they're doing their third degree, they are absolutely at the top of their game and they make a mistake. They sin. They really screw their lives up. But they come back and they say, remember the prodigal son? They come back and they say, I'm sorry. Would you not as a parent be overjoyed at the return? But would you be happy that they then said, you know what? I'm going to give up all that you've given me because I'm ashamed. And I'm going to live a life of mediocrity because I'm ashamed. That isn't, that isn't grace. That doesn't make sense. I think that would sadden God. But there's a third aspect to consider beyond keeping our courage and subordinating our fears. And I can't get used to this timing, especially when we start late and have additional things going on. So, if you want coffee, coffee's open. If you want to listen to the end, listen to the end. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Why? Well, let us encourage one another. When Paul said, keep up your courage, he was actually encouraging the men with an argument. He was saying, keep up your courage, men. It's not as bad as it looks. I know it's a big storm. It is a big storm. But it's not as bad as it looks. Are you crazy, Paul? Why? Well, because I have faith in God. It's really quite simple. I believe in God. And I believe it will be just as he has told me. Do we believe in God and believe that when we pass through the veil of death, it is going to be so glorious that we will have come so close to committing suicide to be there if we really understood it? Is that how we grasp eternity? Or is eternity something that, man, if I can live till I'm 80 or 90, that's a good thing? I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there yet. How do we see what God has told us? What does it mean to encourage? Well, it means to inspire with courage, with spirit, with confidence. In our story, Paul is trying to encourage his shipmates, but others in the Bible have made an argument for the same thing, why we should have courage. Moses said to the Israelites and to Joshua, have courage, don't be afraid. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Then the Lord said to Joshua, be strong, have courage, for the Lord will be with you wherever you go. King David mustered up enough prayer, the courage to pray. And do you know what he prayed? Just consider the next time you kneel beside your bed or you just enter the moment of prayer. Do you pray like King David? Oh Lord, you Ah, my God. 
God. You are my God. Is how King David summoned up the courage to pray. And David told his son, Solomon, do we tell our sons, our daughters, be courageous, don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord God, my God, is with you. Stand firm in your lives. Well, you may say to me, well, Kevin, those are all Old Testament verses. They're kind of not the way we're living right now. It's changed a little bit. Well, let's turn to the New Testament. Contemplate these verses as we close up this text. In the New Testament, I would start my walk of courage right in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do we believe that? Like, do we live lives of courage in that scripture alone to say, for God so loved me, me one of a trillion other souls, but God loves each one of us so much that he would send his one and only son to die for me. Do we really believe that? Like, that truth alone would captivate us every day. You could move on and say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Do we kneel before this being, Jesus, in humble adoration? Like, th- that, those words alone could cause us to just shut up. We had to say, Jesus, I can't say anything more than that. It's too glorious, the thought. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? Do we really live our lives in belief of that, courageously? Or do we give it lip service of convenience? And now Paul, standing on the deck of that ship, he's just getting warmed up now. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of this Christ? You see, he was there 14 days. Do you think he just uttered these words in Acts 27? And that's all he talked about. He went back to his bunk and he sat there until the time came. That they got caught on a sandbank? I don't think so. I suspect that the sailors said, what are you talking about, Paul? Tell us about this dream. Tell us about this angel. Tell us about this God in whom you believe. And I suspect that he did a whole lot of talking during those times. And he may well have said at the end, in the height of the storm, he says, who shall separate us from this, this Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We have courage. How? Through him who loved us. This Jesus. Why, I told Timothy in my second letter, second time I wrote to him, that God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, and of love, and of self-discipline. 
And that scripture, when I put that in there this morning, it reminded me two things about my own faith. It reminded me of the importance of reading scripture because I haven't been reading a whole lot of scripture lately. I know that scripture well, but it reminded me. And that is one of the values of reading scripture, even when you know it and know it and know it. And secondly, it reminded me that God gave me a power of self-discipline because I haven't been particularly self-disciplined lately. And you might say, oh, but you've got lots of reasons and lots of things on your mind and stuff like that. Yeah? Does that mean you fail you default God? Does God change? I don't think so. He goes on to say, for I am convinced, shipmates, I am convinced, fellow travelers, That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Not my fears for my job, for success, for the future, or of what people think of me. Not my fears of failure for making a decision, or of rejection, or my fears of conflict. Not my fears of stupidity, of relationship, of making a fool of myself. Not my fears for telling others about you. Nothing, Paul says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want you just to stop for a moment. I want you to think about your day and your week. And I just want you to, under your breath, I don't want you to say this. I don't, don't even mouth the words for a moment. But just, just say, nothing can separate me. You've got your thought in your mind. I've got my thoughts, troubles, fears, stresses. Nothing. Now just just mouth that word. Mouth those words. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me. And now say those words. Just say those words with me. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can can separate me. You're not saying those words. Some of you who I'm looking at are believers and you're not saying those words and you don't have to. You don't have to be obliged to. But we need to be so convicted in our lives if we don't want to live lives of mediocrity to believe that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And for that reason, that God can grow faith in us, we can plant our courage Firmly in him, and we indeed can overcome the perfect storm of our lives, no matter what. Thank you for your indulgence of time.